Good morning. Good morning to you joining us online also. Um, this is our last message in this series entitled uh, Pillars of the Faith. We're going to talk on the topic of the return of Jesus Christ this morning. One of the distincts of, of our faith is that we believe that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, appeared to his creation. And he brought to us in salvation by his sacrifice on the cross. Um, but another distinct of our faith is that we believe that Jesus is going to return again, just like he promised. So we live in this time bookend by the appearance of Christ the first time and the return of Christ uh, the second time. The, the topic of the return of Christ is massive. It's huge. And so I'm going to just really succinctly talk on it today, um, and I'm going to try to do something manageable. How I'm going to approach this topic is by addressing three questions that are normally surrounded with the return of Jesus Christ. Why does the return of Christ matter? Secondly, what are some of the signs leading up to his return? And then thirdly, when will Jesus' return happen? I call this the why, the what, and the when of Christ's return. So I'm just going to scratch the topic today. I'm sorry if some of you want to go deeper than this. I've done this, uh, you know, uh, four to eight week series on this very topic in the past. We're not going to get into it in depth. But it's perhaps it's good for us to be able to understand in a summary fashion why this is matters and when, what, what's going to happen and when it's going to take place. So let's begin by addressing the question, what does the return of, of why does the return of Christ matter? Okay, why does the return of Christ matter here? Um, Robert Van Campen attempts to answer this question in his book called uh, The Sign. This will get us thinking about the why question here. He gives three reasons why it matters that Christ has promised to return again. First, what we think about end times is critically important. Many evangelical Christians, he says, have become agnostic about the Lord's return without any interest or understanding concerning end time events, spiritualizing or allegorizing them all away so they're no longer applicable. And, and um, when we do that, uh, we basically are denying a big distinctive of our faith. Amen? We believe Jesus is returning again. Amen? When we just spiritualize that away or allegorize it away, we reduce it to something it's never intended to be, all right? Second thing he says is this. To the degree to which the genuine Christian is prepared, he or she will either have the protection of God during the great persecution by Antichrist or will feel the full brunt of Antichrist's fury in his attempt to kill all who do not bow down to him. A believer's theology concerning the last days, therefore, is of immense importance, especially for those who will actually live during the last days. So it's a, a, a way of being prepared, right? It's really important that we're prepared for what lies ahead. Third, and he says this, and I think this is really the most important thing, we can be prepared. God has graciously given to us his word to warn us, to instruct us, and to prepare us for the momentous events of the end times. He calls us, therefore, uh, to be looking for and hastening the return of the Lord, especially to living in a godly way and, and embracing the holy living that, that is preparing us then for that day when he returns. And so this is the thing I want us to understand and really zoom in on in terms of this why. We need to be prepared, amen? We don't want to live in ignorance. We don't want to just pretend. I think a lot of Christians almost fear this thing. I don't know why we would fear the return of Jesus Christ if we love him, amen? 
We should be looking for it and longing for it. And so this brings us to this point. Jesus' followers are to know and believe in his return. And that means we're looking for it and we're longing for it. We're looking for it and we're longing for it. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, through chapter 5, verse 4. So I'm going to begin with uh, chapter, uh, verse 16 in 1 Thessalonians 4. Listen to this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, what are we supposed to do with that? Encourage one another with these words. When we deny it, when we act like it's not even going to exist, we lose one of the big encouragement kind of things that we could say. Jesus is coming back again. Jesus is coming back again. It's meant to encourage one another. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they'll not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So, when we're talking about the why of Jesus' return, why does it matter? Jesus' promised return is a message of encouragement for you and I that motivates and brings meaning to life. It motivates and brings meaning to life. Every time I return to this topic, my urgency in following Jesus is renewed. I'm more urgent than ever in following him. And I'm longing and looking for him more than ever. We just finished another Olympics. Anybody watch the Olympics this year? Some of you did, right? Man, I get really tired of watching all the swimming events. They go on forever. But at any rate, what, what I take away from this is this. You have all these great athletes who have spent the last five years because of the pandemic now preparing for this one moment, sacrificing for the one moment, training hard, living extraordinarily disciplined lives. Why? For one moment. I'm watching someone the recording my wife made. I don't understand this gymnastics that's throwing the hoops around and kicking the batons around. Did you see any of that? I said, why would you do that for five years? But at any rate, you know, some of this escapes me. Um, you know, why would you sacrifice for some of this stuff for five years? But they do it for that momentous moment, right? That, that big opportunity. Listen, you and I, we're living for a momentous moment. The return of Jesus Christ. If we don't understand that, we're going to lose a lot of meaning and purpose in our lives. We're to be training for that. We're to be sacrificing for that. We're to be motivated by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to look forward to it. We're to long for it. We're to live life on purpose. And, and, and it's supposed to funnel us down into living uh, differently and, 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 and interacting with other people differently. Hear this. We neglect this promise to our harm. We reduce Christianity to something that it's not meant to be. If we don't long for and look for the return of Jesus Christ then Christianity becomes reduced down to some moralistic teaching, some how to do your life a little better, and all that kind of stuff. But the oomph behind it, the supernatural behind it, is lost. Christianity, my friends, is about this transformative encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ that's going to come back again. It's meant to be supernatural. It's meant to be full of the power of God. Amen? And we have to understand the primacy, the essential 
piece, this pillar is in, in, our, in our Christianity of the return of Jesus Christ. It's not just something that we remotely long for. It's something that we have set our hope on. Amen? And we are, we are, it's a distinctive of our faith. Jesus is coming back again. Bruce Shelley wrote a book years ago called Theology for Ordinary People. And in this book he said, for many people, life is simply lived. It's no longer chosen. As a result, millions endure a largely meaningless day-to-day existence. And part of the reason that the return of Christ matters so much, why we need to understand its importance is it gives meaning to our lives. It gives purpose and direction to our lives. And we should be looking for and longing for the return of Jesus Christ, living for that. Every time I study this topic, as I mentioned, I just get a renewed sense of urgency, of following hard after my Lord and Savior. So um, does Jesus' return motivate you and bring meaning to your life? I'm just going to ask you that. Does it motivate you at all? Does it bring meaning to your life? That's part of its purpose. That's part of what should be resulting from that promise. We've been through a couple of tough years. Would you agree with me on that? Maybe some of you think, yeah, it's just the same as it's always been. We got this pandemic that never seems to end that's going on. And and now there's a little bit of a new wave of it happening again. And now we are into what I would call a serious drought. We don't like to use the D word, but we're in a drought. It's just not raining. Amen? Wow, okay. So I drive up north and go to our lake. Our lake's down about a foot. I've never seen that in 45 years. And it's a little alarming, right? And you're going, whoa, what's going on here? And we got economic challenges. And we don't have so much of that going on in our area. We're blessed to have pretty good economics happening here in Brookings. But if you look at our country, we're in big trouble. We get a lot of things going on that aren't very good economically speaking. And we've seen that a lot of people are emotionally and mentally unhealthy. Even in the last Olympics, you could see some of that anxiety just come to the surface with some of these athletes. And uh, it's kind of reflective of what's going on in our country. You know what? If those things become our focus, what do they produce? Despair. On the other hand, if we understand that these things are to direct us for a longing for and a looking to the return of Jesus Christ, then we have hope in the midst of these things that are going on. I love Philippians, and I love what it says to us in chapter 4, verse 8. Listen to this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I want you to think about this in the context of Jesus' return. Do you think the return of Jesus falls into the category of true and noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy? Do you think it falls in that category? Absolutely. What should we be dwelling on as followers of Jesus? His return. But if we dwell on the woes, what happens? We get cynical. We get cranky. I was out fishing with my son one day. We are talking on some things, and he just looked at me and said, Man, Dad, are you cranky? I said, Well, I would like to use the age thing as an excuse, but you're right. I'm just crabby because I'm thinking on the wrong things. Amen? And I realized that even as Nate was saying that thing, I am thinking on the wrong things. The wrong things are occupying my mind. And partly what's supposed to occupy our mind is Jesus' return. And we're supposed to be looking for it and longing for it. So, 
that's a brief overview of why this subject matter matters. So let's go on to the second question. What will be the signs leading to up to Jesus' return? What will be the signs leading up to Jesus' return? We're going to use Matthew 24 as a great overview of what will be some of the signs leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. It also addresses the wind question a little bit too. Listen to this exchange that takes place between Jesus and his disciples. It's Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, this is an interesting section of the Bible. Um, according to a commentary I have, it says this uh, particular chapter has called forth more disagreement among interpreters than most of the Bible. Matthew 24. Does it refer specifically to the destruction of Jerusalem? Does it refer uh, to the end of the age and the return of Jesus Christ? Does it refer to both? Some scholars believe that Jesus never really even answered the question of the temple being destroyed, that he just jumped into, uh, you know, his return and the signs of his return. Um, I tell you what, if you were an early Christian in, in the early movement and you were there when Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was torn down and not one stone laid on another, you would see that this did indeed apply uh, to, to some, in some way to that. Um, I think it has some good insight for us into the return of Jesus Christ, okay? And I want to share some of those thoughts with you today, but I'm going to do so in kind of a broad brush way, and I'm going to use some what I call summary words to help us uh, to remember this, okay? I, I know if you're like me, I need things simple and straightforward, and I need to click on some things so I just remember them. And so I think this will be really helpful for you. I hope it, it is because it's very helpful for me. So I'm going to begin by just looking at some of the signs of the return of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm going to summarize these things into three big categories, okay? So we're, ta we're talking about the question, what will be the signs of Christ's return? I'm going to summarize this in three words, okay? Are you all right with that? So I hope this helps you. So let's begin by reading some scripture here from Matthew 24, verses 4 through 13, and, and hear what Jesus says. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So here's the summary words. This is one category of signs that Jesus is returning uh, again that I just read to you. Um, and I would use this summary word for these signs. Continual. Continual. These signs are going to be ongoing and continuous and reminding us that Jesus is returning until he does return again. Okay? They're the beginning of birth pains. They're, uh, 
some contractions happening here. Um, for you who have had babies, you understand you start having contractions, right? And what, ha- what does that signify to you? There's going to be a birth, amen? If you're a mom and you begin to have contractions, you say, oh, this can't possibly be happening to me. You know, I'm denying it. You, you, you're, you're, Significant other just needs to get you help right away. You're going to have a baby, amen? And the beginning birth pains to signify something momentous is about to take place in your life. And that's what Jesus is saying. These things are going to be ongoing. They're like the beginning of birth pains. They're to remind us that something momentous is going to take place. Beloved, what he's saying is we're going to have a baby here. And that baby, in this case, is the return of Jesus Christ. And these signs point to his return continually. I've learned something over the years looking at these first set of signs. Um, I try to chart them to see if they were increasing. I try to do all kinds of data collection. That's kind of how my mind works. And after years and years of doing that, I concluded this. I I don't know any more than when I started. Um, There could be some increasing in some of these things. Uh, There could be some decreasing. Uh, It wasn't a bad exercise because I was looking for and longing for the return of Jesus Christ while I was doing this. Um, But we can conclude this. There's a definite climatic war that takes place right before Jesus comes back. Talked about in Revelation. So there is a climatic kind of occurrence there. But these first set of signs I just read to you, I think think they serve the basic purpose of being a continual reminder to us to look for and long for the return of Jesus Christ. So let's go through these. First he says there's false Christ. Um, false Christ remind us that the real Christ is coming back. And in my lifetime there have been uh, multiple you know, occurrences of false Christ and predictions that Jesus returned, right? Have any of those come true? Not a one. False, 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 right? Amen? Not a one. They've all been false. Um, uh, have you noticed if you ever watch a movie that if there's any swearing or taking uh, in vain a name, it's always God or Jesus Christ. It's never Buddha or Allah or Krishna or whatever, right? Have you ever noticed that? Seriously, I'm being kind of, well, I'm being serious. Why? Have you ever why is that the case? Because there's only one God and there's only one son, Jesus Christ. And ultimately, that's the only name that can be taken in vain and mean anything. Amen? It's to remind us that Jesus is coming back again. Um, New Age says, we're all gods. False. Islam says, all is God. False. Luke 21, 8 says, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. Um, So, I want to do something. How did Jesus know this was going to happen? If he was just a carpenter from Nazareth, some 2,000 years ago, how could he make this prediction that many false Christs would come in his name? You know how he could? Because he's Christ and he's coming back again. Amen? And then there's wars and rumors of wars. Years ago, I researched wars, and at the time, I found this number, that since Christ, there have been 11 wars in every 12 years of the history of mankind. And lately, in the last 40, 50 years, there's more like 40 wars a year. It's just a lot going around on the world. Um, and just think about what's happened recently. You got the towers going down, the Twin Towers going, you got ISIS going on, Afghanistan going on, all these things, right? Just think about the wars we've been involved. That's just us have been involved with. And 
the time between the appearings of Jesus Christ, his first one and his second one, it's going to be characterized by wars or rumors of wars. Amen? It should remind us what? Jesus is coming back again. And we should be looking for and longing for his return. Again, I'm going to ask you the question, how in the world did somebody from the Middle East know with such accuracy that we'd have wars all the time? How, how would he know that? Because he's the Christ. And he's coming back again. How about famines and earthquakes? This is where it got real interesting for me. I thought at one point, I'm going to chart out all the earthquakes that have happened over the last 50 years and see if there's any pattern, if they're increasing or, or decreasing or, you know, if there's, coming, if there's some kind of climax coming. And so one resource said since 1973 that the frequency of earthquakes have gone from 500 a year to 20,000. And that was by the year uh, 2006. But then another expert came on and said, well, the only reason we think there's more earthquakes now is because we got better measurement tools and we couldn't measure them before. So again, I go, I don't know. Are they increasing, decreasing? Is that even the purpose of these signs? I can't conclude anything from this other than it's amazing to me that a carpenter from Nazareth could predict that there'd be earthquakes and famines with such accuracy. Why is that? Because he's Jesus and he's Lord and he's our Savior and he's returning again. And he knows, amen? And so we go through this drought right now, right? We're going through a drought. We don't like to use the D word. It's a drought. We're in a drought. Amen? It's bad. Everything's down. Go to the nature park. The water's down six feet in the ponds. Go to the golf course. It's down a long way. You go, it's almost alarming to see it down that much. I go to our lake. It's down a foot in northern Minnesota. All it does is rain up there. Amen? It's down. We're in a drought. But instead of being despairing, we're supposed to say, oh, famines, earthquakes. Jesus, you said these would be continual signs. And we're supposed to see that sign and it's supposed to remind us to think on that which is noble, that which is right, that which is praiseworthy. Jesus, he's coming back again. Amen? It's supposed to remind us of that. Persecution. The time between Jesus appearing is going to be characterized by persecution. I have in my hand here this book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. I've shown this book to you before in the past. It's a great read. If you don't own it, you should buy it. Fox's Book of Martyrs. F-O-X-E. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Amen. People ask me first hour, what was that book? Because you speak so fast we didn't hear what you're saying. So come and take a picture of it if you want afterwards. But it's a great book on the martyrdoms that have occurred from the appearing of Christ until now, basically. And it's interesting. It starts out with how the disciples were martyred. And James and, Matt, uh, James and Mark were beheaded. Andrew was crucified. Matthew was run through with a spear. Philip was crucified in stone. James, the brother of Jesus, was thrown down from the pinnacle of the temple, but he didn't die. So laying there, you know, I'm sure all bruised up and, and battered, he began to pray for the ones that were killing him, say, forgive them, God, they know not what they do. This got them even more mad, so they stoned him and clubbed him over the head and killed him. Um, Peter was crucified upside down, not feeling worthy to be crucified like Jesus Christ. And that's in the first, like, five pages. And there's just martyr after martyr after martyr after martyr. And Jesus said, persecution's going to happen. It's going to be the norm of my people in between my appearings. Amen? Well, how did he know this? How would he have any idea that this would be true? Because he's the Christ and he's coming back again. False prophets deceiving many. Wow. I don't have time to get in this, but boy, is that going on like crazy. We've had so many false prophets, so many uh, religions and cults that deny Jesus Christ, that put forth a different kind of message. Think about all the people that have been deceived and led astray by all the false prophets and all the false cults, all the false religions of our world. I have a book called Misguiding Lights. Super short read. 
on major, um, you know, false religions and false and cults. Okay, that uh, is really if you ever want to get educated and read what 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 do, what do these people really believe in a super succinct short book. This is it. It kind of makes you go, oh, okay. You begin to read, but, uh, realize what's going on here. And again, Jesus said this would take place. It's amazing. How would he know that if he wasn't God? Amen? And we can rely on his promise that he's coming back again. So that's the first word I use in the what will be the signs of Christ's return. There's going to be these continual signs. And every time we see them, they should just turn our heart towards Jesus. Then there's going to be another class of signs called close. We know Jesus' return is getting close when these things begin to take place. This is no longer the beginning of birth pains. This is where you're getting the transition. The birth is getting serious. The mom, if you've gone through the mom's classes or whatever, I'm really dating myself, begins to breathe hard and things amp up. The husband grabs her hand. She says, I hate you. Why'd you do this to me? You know, all that kind of stuff that takes place at that moment. It's very stressful. Uh, my wife was amazing, by the way, when she went through the sea. It was one tough cookie. I looked at her and said, I'm going to faint here. I don't know how you're doing this. You know, I remember when Liz was born, our first daughter was born. I was so messed up, basically, uh, you know, it went really fast and things didn't go real well. And they said, do you want to, you know, cut her cord? And I said, I'm just trying to not faint here right now. So go ahead. You, you look like you're doing a good job. So um, listen to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. It says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's one of those close signs. When this happens, we're really close to returning to Jesus Christ. The gospel will be preached to all nations. The trouble is, we don't know how to measure this very well. Amen? Would you agree with me on this? We don't know how to measure this very well. And, and one of the main unreached areas in our world is called the 1040 window. It's latitude and latitude, 1040 window. It, 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 uh, it, it tells us that about 97% of that, uh, of, uh, of the population within, uh, lives within this 1040 window. I, I don't think I have that right. Forget, forget that stat. Just drop that stat. Sometimes I get confused. Anyway, this is the Northern Africa area and Southern Asia area. Uh, 4.75 billion people live in this area, and the major religions are Islam, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, and non-religious. There are about 8,100 distinct people groups living in there uh, that need to be reached for Jesus Christ. And there's a real concerted effort to reach this group of people right now. It's been going on for a long time. Um, It's interesting that when China kind of opened up, we begin to see that they were more Christian than we realized. There was a house church movement in China that was pretty large. So maybe they're not as non-religious as as we've been led to believe. And so what does it mean that all these people will be reached for Jesus Christ? I don't know. But there's people actively working on it right now. And that's the goal of their life. When this happens, the end will come. This is what makes the return of Jesus and the timing very difficult. Amen? Because you just don't know when these signs are are, are, are fulfilled. Um, I don't have time to talk about the abomination that causes desolation uh, that's talked about next in Matthew. Um, you see this is referred to as the person of uh, the Antichrist. What I want to do rather is I want to go over, uh, leave Matthew 24 for a moment and go over to Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 and just read to you fr- from there, um, from chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Listen to this. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. 
Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So we know at the end of the age, before Christ returns, it's getting really close when the Antichrist sets himself up. There's so much talk on this and how this is going to take place and what that's going to look like. I don't have time to do it justice this morning, but just understand this. There are some signs when they take place, then it's close, amen? We're to look up and we're to, to, to be uh, uh, aware that Christ's coming is just around the corner, okay? So there are some signs that are continual. There are some signs that say it's really close, But here's what I really want to uh, uh, get you to think with me on. Um, The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will be conspicuous. It will be obvious. It will be visible. It will stand out. It will attract attention. Okay? So the last word that ends up our summary on, on this question, what will be the signs of the return of Jesus Christ, is it will be conspicuous. You will know it's happening. It will be, leave no doubt. Okay, listen to Matthew chapter 24. Now I'm going to read verses 26 through 28. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. So get this. When I use the word conspicuous, here's what I'm saying. Jesus' return will be visible. It will be obvious. It will stand out. It will will attract attention, amen? You will know what's taking place. So when when I'm asked, what are the signs of Jesus' return? Someone wanted to talk to me, and it was a quick conversation. I'd say, well, there's some that are are just continual signs of his return. Earthquakes, famines, wars, peace, or not peace, wars, um, rumors of wars, and... and, um, Whatever else I said, you got what I said, okay? You follow up sin, all right? There would be these continual signs, drought, famine. Those, these are supposed to remind us Jesus is coming back again. Instead of being in despair about such things, we're supposed to think on those things that are right and noble and good and edifying, you know, as, as Philippians 4, 8 says. Then I'd say there are some signs, though, when they happen, we're getting really close. When the gospel is preached to all the world, we're getting really close. It's hard to measure that, but it's actively being pursued right right now by a lot of mission people. Amen? It's actively being pursued. And then when the Antichrist sets himself up, we're really close. That's the book of Revelation. Amen? We're really close at that point. And I always say to them, but take heart. It's going to be conspicuous. You're going to know it's happening. It's going to be visible. Now, we're not supposed to fear this. Amen? Beloved, we're not supposed to fear this, are we? If we're a Christ follower, we're supposed to be looking for it and longing for it. It's supposed to be part of our theology. It's a distinctive of our faith. It's not supposed to cause fear in us. It's supposed to be something we say, it's going to happen. It puts everything we're going through right now into perspective. Amen? Because if you don't have this perspective, things like a drought we're in right now will cause what? Despair. A pandemic, what will it cause? Fear. 
and the sense of loss of control, despair, depression, anxiety, right? But if we take those things instead and use them as a catalyst to point us towards the return of Jesus Christ, then we have a hope that's bubbling in the midst of what we're going through, amen? We have a perspective that's more than the temporary things that we're observing. So here's a reflection question. Are the signs of Jesus creating in you a longing for Jesus? Now, a couple quick thoughts on the timing question. When will Jesus return happen? Matthew 24 really answers this question, verses 36 to 42. But about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. I'm going to stop there. In the days of Noah, there was just all kinds of sin. Things were just totally out of control. Nobody was thinking God would do anything. Everybody was, I think people were extraordinarily intelligent. I think there was actually great technology. We know nothing of that the flood destroyed. Amen? I don't think it was a backwards culture like we sometimes think of a bunch of permanent people. I think it was very advanced people who thought they were really smart and didn't need God. Does that sound like us? Does it sound like us? Yeah, as in the days of Noah. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So no one knows the day or the hour of the return of Jesus, but we're to know the signs and we're to keep watch. Vigilant watch. We're to long for and look for the return of Jesus Christ. Here's a true statement. His return is closer now than it has ever been. Amen? Every day we live, his return is closer. So here's the application to this whole message. Alertly watch for the return of Jesus. The continuous science should turn our hearts towards him. We should be looking for these signs that are close. We should be... Um, aware uh, that it's going to be conspicuous and we, know, we don't know the timing but we can surely know the signs. So here's a summary to this message. The return of Jesus should be a pillar of your faith. Now listen, we've had, this pillar series is really important. When Aaron and I were talking about it, we, we just, we, in these times we live in, you need to be established in your faith. You got to know that God is Trinitarian. He's been revealed that way. You got to know that God is creator. He's been revealed that way. You got to understand the basic problem of, of, of humanity is sin. Amen? Sin is the problem. Amen. People aren't going to acknowledge that right now. They, they don't understand. Sin is the problem of humanity. And we've got to understand Jesus has promised to return again. These are like pillars of our faith. They need to, they need to be driven deep in your soul. Things that you understand that, that, that set a, a world perspective for you, your worldview for you. You've got to have these things being the filter through which you see this world. Otherwise, you're not going to see this world biblically. Amen. Amen? So I want to end today by having all of you stand. So would you stand with me, please? And we're going to read out loud from Revelation chapter 22. These are the last words, basically, of the Bible. And I find them interesting because of the message that they send. I'm going to read the first part. It's about Jesus coming back again, about his return. That's the last word, basically, the Bible says. So it's word along and look for the return of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read the first part, and you're going to respond by reading the second part. Here we go. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Amen.
Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to pray that this return of yours would not instill in us fear or anxiety. And if it does, Lord, maybe we need to do some soul searching and get right with you today. But I pray instead it would instill in us a surety that you're in control, that you are, are not being taken aback by anything that's happening in our world today. I pray, Lord, that we would truly be looking for and longing for your return. And we understand, Lord, that you're supernatural, that this thing called Christianity is transformative, it's divine. It's not about some tweaking and some moralistic living. It's about an utter life change, upside down kind of life change, Lord. And, and, and I just, I see that, you know, we don't want to be agnostic, Lord, or illiterate when it comes to your return. We, we need to be people in the know and having our theology set by your return, Jesus. And I thank you that, you know, some of these signs, the what question, are, are really helpful, Lord. Uh, there's these continuous signs, Lord, that are to turn our heart to you so that we trust in you more and we see that you're uh, coming again, Lord. There's these signs that are saying you're really close. We don't know exactly what they are uh, going uh, to be completed or when they're going to really take place, Lord, but we know that they're going to happen. And today your, your return's closer than it's ever been. And I want to thank you, God, that you've assured us that your return is conspicuous. It's just obvious. It's, it's visible. It's going to be known. Lord, uh, and so help us be prepared for that day, Lord. We don't know the timing of it. We don't know the exact hour, but we do know the signs, Lord. Help us to be people who are prudent and aware and knowledgeable in this regard. And even as we sing this last song, may it be sung as a declaration of faith to you, Jesus, today um, and trust in you. And all God's people said, 